0: These are very real to me. Uh, I can't say that I'm the authority on this subject today, but I can say this, I'm not a novice on it either. And I want you to, to listen to what I have to say and what the Scriptures have to say because if you can get the revelation of what is being taught to you today and you can put yourself in the right environment for this to happen to you, then I'm telling you it will mark you and you will live your life distinctly different than you have previously. Even as a Christian, even the the normal Christian life, as Watchman Nee wrote in his great book about the, uh, the, the book of Romans, it will take your life to a place where you'll have a purpose and you'll have a distinction to who you are. And I want to begin, first of all, there's three passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today, and we're going to weave them together, and there's a common word that's found in all three passages it 's only just a few verses in second Corinthians that we 're going to read it 's one verse we 'll read later in the book of isaiah we 'll bridge it with just a little bit more reading out of the book of First John, a familiar passage that we have been journeying together. Uh, recently and I want to kind of pick it back up because it's fresh today and it needs to be fresh in our hearts and minds so would you stand up today and let's say a prayer over the scriptures today and before we'll 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 sit back down to open this passage of scripture in second corinthians but you know we do this out of reverence for the word of god if you're unfamiliar to our fellowship this is we're copying an ancient practice of the hebrew people the Scripture says in the book of Nehemiah that Ezra stood on a, what was called a pulpit, King James English. It was a high tower that they gave him so that when he read the Scriptures, he'd be visible to all the people. And the Bible says that when he opened the book, that all the people stood up. And that's what you're doing today is you're linking to that historical moment. And what you're saying is, I reverence the Word of God. Well, we recognize it. We recognize just simply the reading of it that you've been doing personally, the public reading as well as the private, but we also value and deeply appreciate the public preaching of it. For Romans 10, 17 says, faith will come by hearing and your hearing is by the Word of God. And so if in this sermon the Word of God is revealed to you, it's going to lift your faith. Come on, with faith all things are possible. And remember this, God responds to faith. That's what, God, that's what moves the heart of God. It's your faith. And so I'm going to believe that as this word goes forward today, it's going to lift your countenance in such a way that's going to strengthen you to believe God for something that I think is very, very important to us. So Father in heaven, we humble ourselves in this room amongst this church family. And I pray today, God, that you would strengthen us as we open the word of God, as we read it and meditate on it. Father, I recognize in and of myself, I am so limited. God in my, uh, my ability to communicate. But I recognize, God, that if you will quicken things in me, if you will, Father God, do a work in me that is tangible, then you can use me as a vessel today. Isaiah said, Father God, that, that you would give me a word in season. That's my prayer today, God, a word in season for this fellowship today, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. And you can be seated. And as you're seated, if you've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to take three verses, but our emphasis will be upon one verse. And the way, not only the particular context, but the way it's written, what it has to say who had spoken to, and see if we can somehow connect to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, For all the promises of God are in him are yes and are in him, amen, unto the glory of God. You want to say that with me? All the promises of God are in him unto the glory of God. They're yes and amen. Now that's in opposite opposition to the 19th verse, which was, it was not yea and nay, but in him it was yea. His promises are yes. God reveals them to us. But it's the 21st verse that speaks to me today, transcends into the 22nd verse, but it's the context that's revealed to us in the 21st verse that I want to talk to you about for a few moments. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ who establishes us it's important to be established in your faith especially in the uh, the generation that we live in today Paul said in the book of Ephesians that we should not be moved by every wind of doctrine you have to be you you've, Colossians says to be rooted and grounded that's why we're journeying through the scriptures that's why we we, we, we set our heart. When we sing songs, we target songs that have a biblical uh, context to them. They're scriptural. The words that are, that are they're in essence, they're following with doctrine. They're, you continue in what you have believed, the apostle said. You, you recognize, you know, the apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, I want to remind you of which you have learned them. He said, you, from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation before I left, I was sharing with you from the the part of the error of our generation is that we don't know the Scriptures. Jesus reproved the Sadducees because he said, you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. It's our responsibility to know the Word of God, to hide it in our heart, to have it written on the tablet of our heart, to meditate upon it, to think about it. It's God's mysterious will revealed to us right here in the pages of the Word of God. It will unlock... His promises, they'll be yea to you. Come on, when the word is written on the tablet of your heart, it will no longer be yea and nay. It will be yea. Come on, it will, the word of God, the unveiling. Here he says, so, so God will establish you. He will strengthen you. And that's very important that you be strengthened in your faith. That's why you're here this morning, to be strengthened in your faith. Come on, Amen. To worship the Lord, to bring him praise, but to also be strengthened in our faith. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But notice this 21st verse. He said this. He said, now he which establishes us with you is Christ. And look at this. And hath anointed us is God. And hath anointed us is God. let's tied to the 22nd verse who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts here the apostle uses a word that he is very familiar with but many in our generation are not familiar with it's oftentimes a missing compound in our worship services today it's missing often in the lives of the contemporary church and it's something that the apostle is writing from a uh, a background in judaism and also an awareness of the ministry of jesus but also in what god is doing through the prophets and the apostles of the first century and he says this god hath anointed us Now, that's a word that we, some of us, use very casually. Jojo prayed a moment ago, and he prayed for me. He said, God, would you anoint him to preach your word? Did y'all hear that? Anybody recognize that? Then he prayed that God would anoint you to hear the word of God. Okay, now I want to try to give some, I want to elaborate upon this because I think that every one of us need to arrive at the place where we can say with the Apostle Paul, it is God that has anointed me. Where you understand the ramifications of what you're saying, that you know what it's like to be anointed by God, to have something distinctly different in your life that's tangible. The word anointed in the Greek actually means in the purest form to simply rub with oil, to rub with oil, to smear with oil, But he also, in the Strong's Concordance, it brings a revelation of its historical context as well because he uses this word descriptive of the anointing, ungent. In essence, it's got a fragrance to it. And so remember this, when the apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is a, 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 a Greek church, if you will, a, 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 in essence as he's writing to them, he's reaching back to his historical training in Judaism. And when he uses the term, God has anointed us, I know there are images in his mind that are that, that he is tracing. And I want to I share with you in the context, the historical context that would be, have been in the minds of the apostles Apostle Paul, as he's writing, it is God that has anointed us, would have been the holy anointing oil that was in the holy place that was held by the uh, Levitical priesthood that God had instructed Moses back during the days of the Exodus to make a compound ointment of olive oil and certain... All this morning but many times we put a little bit on somebody's forehead or on the top of their head but if you read the scriptures and you understand Jewish history when they consecrated Aaron they didn't just put a little drop on his forehead but they literally took a horn of oil, horn and filled it with oil the horn of an animal, uh, the goat filled with that with that fragrant oil and they poured it on top of his head. Now David saw it, David looked back to it in Psalm 133 and he said how good And pleasant it is for God's brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's a fragrance about it when the church and the people of God are unified. He said it's a beautiful thing. He said it's like the oil of anointing that was poured on the head of Aaron. He said it ran down on his face, it was on his beard, it came off of his shoulders, and it literally rode all the way down to his feet. He was literally anointed by God. Now, let me tell you, when that moment occurred, the morning before. Before the anointing, uh, Aaron could have got up and he was, just the, the, he was just the brother of Moses, a former slave in Egypt. But after the anointing was applied to his life, he was now God's high priest. Come on, with accesses and privileges that the common man did not have, glory to God. He was anointed uh, by the Father. Now, that holy compound anointing oil in the historical context of Judaism would be reserved for three people groups. First, it was for the priest... But it was also for the prophets, because you may remember Elijah when he was praying up on the mountain in the cave when he was in great despair. Does anybody remember that in the book of First Kings? He's run from Jezebel, hid under a juniper tree, wished to die for forty days. God sent, or wished to die. God sent him on a journey for forty days, and he went to Mount Sinai. There, ascended it, and was hid in a cave. And there, he heard the voices of God working in his heart, with his head wrapped in. The- that mantle. And God told him, he said, I want you to go back down. And he said, and I want you to anoint, there's that word again, I want you to anoint Elisha to be prophet in your stead. So we see the anointing is not only upon the priest, but it was also upon the prophet. And oftentimes with that anointing came a transfer of divine supernatural power and giftings. Not only was it a calling, but it was a gifting. It was an enabling that would come upon him to empower him to do what he could not previously do. And then not only do we see the anointing upon, see, Elisha could not have prophesied previously until the anointing came upon him. And when the anointing came upon him, then he had the ability to function as a prophet in the absence of Elijah, eventually catching Elijah's mantle himself. And I know many of you that have read the scriptures, you're familiar with that passage. But you also remember that that anointing was not only for a priest, and that anointing was not only for a king, but it was also, or or, or for a prophet, but it was also for a king. We heard the term, they anointed him king. I always love this one passage of Scripture. I know the story of David's great victory over Goliath is in 1 Samuel 17. But it was when Samuel the prophet heard the voice of God to go to the sons of Jesse and to anoint one of his sons to be king in the stead of Saul. You remember this and when Saul or excuse me Samuel arrives there the whole city is moved because when the prophet came to town it was either for a great celebration or it was an announcement of judgment so the heart of the whole little village of Bethlehem was in fear and trembling because why is the prophet here among us? Is he going to call down some type of fire of God upon us? And he said, I just need to meet with Jesse and I need to have we're going to have a feast, but we're not going to have a feast until I do my business. He shared with Jesse that he was going to anoint one of his sons to be king. And you may remember that the very first man that stood in front of him was the eldest son of Jesse Eliabeth. And Eliab, the Bible says, was a man of great stature. That's why you can't judge somebody's anointing by their outward appearance. He, was, he had all the physical attributes and characteristics. He would have been uh, you know, what is that magazine? GQ. He would have been on that in today's culture. And, and when, when, when even Samuel for a moment looked at him for a moment and said, surely the Lord's anointed is in front of me. Surely that, he's got everything we're looking for in a king. But God said, you're looking on the outside. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. And he said, he's not the one that I've chosen. One by one, seven young men stood and finally no one to stand there to be anointed. He said, surely there's somebody else. And he said, oh, by the way, my youngest son is David. He's ruddy and of a beautiful countenance. He's out in the sheep. I forgot about him. Somebody go and call him. And when Samuel laid his eyes on that 16-year-old young man, the Spirit of God quicked in his heart and said, surely that is the one right there anoint him. And in the midst of his brothers, all of his brothers looking on enviously. See, God God can anoint you while everybody else is pouting and angry and they're frustrated. I don't know why God called. He just called us. He said, that's the one. He's a man after my own heart. And Samuel took that horn of oil and poured it over the top of David's head. And the Bible says these words, never forget them. And the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. Glory to God. Now let me say this. David was a psalmist before the anointing came upon him. He could play an instrument with his hand. But I'm here to tell you oh how worship changed out in the sheepfold when the Spirit of God was upon David. Let me tell you that's what will change a dull, dry worship service. It is the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. That's what will change the preaching element that we have missing in our modern pulpits today. It is the anointing of Almighty God. If we can have any Anything, I'll tell you the thing I want the most. I want that supernatural distinction, that unction, uh, that divine function that comes uh, from the empowering of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it will change uh, our church. It will change this community. And you and I have it. God has anointed us. Hallelujah. So figuratively, those things represent the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, His tangible presence. God is invisible, but He's not intangible. Come on now. I can feel Him. Come on, I know. I know. Come on, somebody. I don't base everything upon my emotions because the anointing is not an emotion. It's not a feeling, but let me tell you, God's presence will still at times agitate your emotions. God made us emotional people, and when his presence comes in, you will recognize it. It was tangible. It was ungent. It was fragrant. It had a smell. You may not see him. You may not hear him, but you will know he's present because of his glorious anointing. Did you know that we call Jesus Christ, and you've heard me say this many times, we say that name so loosely. Jojo Riggs, Shane Parrish, Lee Brown, Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean the same. Shouldn't be in the same context. Shouldn't be using it the same way. In the Hebrew, the name Jesus is Yeshua. We also know it's been translated Joshua as well. We're familiar with this. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. It's pronounced with the ya sound Yeshua. Yeshua the anointed one. Christ in the Greek is Christos and it means the anointed one and it is a messianic prophecy that there would come one that would have the anointing of God upon his life. He would be both prophet, he would be priest and he would be king, glory to God and he would have an anointing above his fellows. Hebrews looked back and wrote about what they had understood the psalmist to have written in advance of his coming. For the psalmist had written that there would come a day when there would be one that would be anointed uh, with the oil of gladness in the midst of his brothers. Uh, And that fateful day occurred uh, when Jesus uh, of Nazareth had come uh, to the baptism service uh, of his dear cousin John. Uh, And when he began to walk down uh, the banks of the Jordan River, John, doing his baptism of submersion in the swirling waters of the Jordan River, lifted up his eyes, uh, and he said, Behold, uh, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world uh, and John's heart began to beat many more times than his normal pulse would allow for for he knew he was standing in the presence of the Holy One of Israel and he submitted himself to him and said I have need to be baptized of thee and Jesus said to suffer it to be so for all righteousness sake and when John baptized him in water and raised him up when he came up out of the waters the Bible says that the heavens parted and the Spirit of God descended in bodily form like as of a dove. John the Apostle would reclaim the words of John the Baptist when he wrote about it in the Gospel of St. John chapter number 1 when he said he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me upon whom that you shall see the tangible expression of the Spirit of God when you shall see that Spirit come upon him you will know that it is he which shall baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I baptize with water but there is one standing among you whom you know not he it is which shall baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire and the latchet of his shoe I am not even worthy to reach down and unloose he is the anointed Christ of Almighty God the anointed one Jesus Jesus is the anointed one come on and when he began his ministry he had a ministry distinctly different from anything anybody had ever seen Come on, I mean miracles, signs and wonders. And do you remember that the first passage of Scripture that he turned to later to affirm his messianic calling was when he had returned to Nazareth. Nazareth where he had been brought up. It is not where he housed the hub of his early ministry. He housed the hub of his early ministry at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a seaside city around the lake on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It was there that he had called Peter and Andrew to be fishers of men, not just fishermen. And it was there that Jesus set up his initial ministry. And you may remember it was there that one of the first miracles that Jesus performed was at the synagogue at Capernaum. And it was not that he went there to do anything. He just went there because that was what his normal order to do was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. But I'm telling you, the anointing stirs things up. And so it was just a calm, casual, everyday service that familiar people had come to week after week, but all of a sudden, the light of God's glory, the fragrant one, the one with the distinct, tangible fragrance had entered into the room, and the demons that had tormented people and been destructive to their lives could not abide in the presence of the anointing of God, and that's when the demon began to cry out, and Jesus drove it out of him, and that's when people said, wait a minute, we've never seen anything like that. You know why they had never seen anything like that because they didn't have the anointing of God in their life but now Jesus' anointing is agitating that's why he said beware when every man speaks good about you I'm telling you, if you think the church is supposed to be so lukewarm and so passive and so non-controversial and so non-assertive that we're nothing more than a social club, honey, you are gravely mistaken. You need to realize God's called us to be the salt of the earth and if the salt of the earth has lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? God said, I called you to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Don't put your light in a candle and put it under a bushel. Put it on a candlestick and let everybody see that there is a power and a presence that's distinctly different in your life because you might be able to say one day with the Apostle Paul, it is God that has anointed me. It is God that has anointed me. Hallelujah. And so Jesus' ministry, when he then went to Nazareth, the messianic passage that he turned to, and you're familiar with this, and they weren't ready to receive this. John said that he came to his own and his own received him not. But he turned to the place in the book of the scroll of Isaiah to Isaiah 61. Luke records that he turned to this passage and he said, Here it is written, for the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. God's anointing was upon Jesus, and he claimed those prophetical fulfillments in his life, that he was there to preach the gospel to the good news. He was there to open the eyes of the blind. He was there to set at liberty them that are in prison. Come on. That was his ministry. Peter looked back upon the ministry of Jesus in a sermon that he preached in Cornelius' house at the seaside city of Joppa. The scripture tells us there that while at the centurion's house, he preached a And he referred back to the ministry of Jesus, the ministry that he had walked and watched. And when I say walked, he walked with him and he ate with him and he heard his teaching and he saw the miracles and he said these words, it's Acts 10 and 38, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. So let's see if we can capture, the, the, if we can, the, the, the message contained how that God took his son Jesus and in the midst of his brethren there on the day when he was baptized and anointed him with the Holy Ghost. He then went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Thank God for that anointing today. See, when David gained that anointing, he had then played that instrument differently. Saul would be tormented by demon spirits until he heard the sweet sound of the psalmist of Israel playing under the anointing of God. The anointing of God. How many of you know we need that in our our lives today? He said, it is God that hath anointed us. So now, not necessarily through apostolic succession, but simply put, Jesus told his disciples... He said, and we've we've noted this many times, it is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will pray the Father and I will send him unto you. Uh, following his resurrection, even before his ascension, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. They were longing and waiting for 10 days after his ascension for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the coming of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Acts chapter number 2, what was actually taking place was that the anointing of Jesus Jesus was now being multiplied in the earth. God was taking of the anointing that was upon him and he was putting it upon them. Does that make sense to you today? And then that's why Paul, being not necessarily subsequent generation, same generation, just a little bit different timetable coming into his apostolic authority would later write and in his mind I know when he said it is God that has established us and it is God that has strengthened us it's God that's given us doctrinal root and he said it is God that has anointed us and when he chose that word I know in my heart of hearts that he was reaching all the way back to that mosaic anointing under the confines of the law to every instrument and he was now flowing that anointing through the anointed one Jesus and now it's being divided to his church I love the divine mystery of what you see, the threefold anointing that God placed that anointing oil in the old covenant, prophet, priest, and king. The reason why it's important to me today is Revelation 1 and 5 says, Now unto him who loved us, and he gave his son his blood, and he's made us unto God, both kings and priests. And how many of you know that you and I are also prophetical? We have the ability to prophesy. And so we have the right to say, God, would you anoint my life? Would you anoint my life? And so as I'm contemplating and I'm reflecting and I'm pondering and I'm spending my time in meditation and I'm thinking about God today, the work of the church, because I love the church of Jesus Christ, don't you? There's a lot of ministry today in the contemporary church that has the right look. What do you mean look? There's always a style. Some have it, some do not. Some are a relevant topic. Preachers, we have beautiful facilities. Thank God we've slipped away from those great cathedrals that are to a degree in the shadow of the, the, the greco roman era. Thank God for that today because this is not the church. This is the church. I, I thank God for that. I thank God for media. It's an powerful thing that we need. It helps us. It aids us. Thank God for video. It's a video generation, and the church can even use some of this to accomplish its purposes. Thank God for well-thought-up programs. Thank God for administration. Thank God for sermons and lessons and teaching series. But the reality is today, let me go back and rephrase this whole paragraph. A lot of ministry today in the contemporary church has the look, has the relevant topic, has the facilities, has the media, has the video, has the program has the administration, has the sermon, has the lesson, has the teaching series, but does not have any anointing. Dear God, the thing that is the most important, we have missed and omitted in our modern church. I say I don't care if it's just a rock-hewn building or a beautiful contemporary facility. God, give me the anointing. That's what I desire. I want the anointing not only for my life, but for your life as well. The anointing of God is tangible. It's holy. It's that special fragrance of his divine presence. You cannot tell me you can't recognize him when he shows up. Come on, you saw uh, Elisha was needing to prophesy, but he didn't have a moment. He couldn't find it. And, And he said, bring me a minstrel. And when the minstrel began to play, then suddenly it began to unlock that anointing that was on the inside of him and what he could not do previously. When the anointing began to agitate on his life and in his life, then he could do what God had called him to do, which was prophesy. If we're going to make a marked difference in the culture today that we've got to have, we've got to be more than just a social club in existence that is standing in the shadow of ancient spiritual forefathers of the past. But we've got to cast a new light. We've got to have a new unction and we've got to have a new anointing in our generation. The generation we live in today demands that the church of Jesus Christ have an anointing it does it's a difficult day one last passage today or two passages in closing today 1st John turn with me for just a moment to 1st John if we can I didn't bring my watch today so I don't know what time it is so that's okay I guess I got a lot to say down on the beach I want you to see this Now you and I have been traveling I I don't want to get feedback but I'm going to turn that a little bit because I can't hear myself when I do I get louder and I don't mean to I get louder, but my voice gets weaker. First John, I want to show you a mystery about the anointing that even a lot of, even even some in days gone by that knew about one component of the anointing but missed one of the greatest revelations about the anointing. And this is what I'm going to close with you for you today. In first John, this is an important passage Because John is addressing the heretical teachings of his generation. Heresy. Heresy was easy to accomplish in the first century because God had chosen a distinct apostolic ministry to take the the teachings of Jesus and pass them on. Right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. The Holy Spirit will bring all things into your remembrance. Right? And he does that. So this group of men and then men and women and the teachings of Jesus they began to spread. Now John is writing to correct doctrinal errors that had begin to creep in because doctrinal heresy was easy to create because all you had to do is write an epistle, sign it in the name of an apostolic father because everybody did not have a copy. Now we 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 are without fault because we've got the Word of God. When cults and heretical teachings are accepted in our generation, uh, we are the blind leading the blind. We, uh, there's no reason for that, because we've got the Scriptures. John is writing to correct some of the heresies that are given place to the spirit of Antichrist, which anti is opposite of, in essence, opposite of the true teachings of Christ. In his day, by saying, "You have heard that many anti- that an Antichrist will come," he said, "Even now, there are many that have already come. It's a spirit, even more than it is a man. People are always looking for a man. Maybe there will be an Antichrist." I don't know. I may not ever see that, but I can tell you, the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the earth today. It's at work in a lot of the contemporary modern church in America today, and unfortunately, our senses are dulled, and we're not even discerning it. And so John is writing to correct this. He said, if they were of us, they would, have comm- they would have stayed with us, but they went out of us to show that they were not of us. That's that passage of Scripture that you're familiar with. and because The reason why I know you're familiar with it because I've been preaching from it here recently in the latter couple of passages of Scripture. But in this particular passage, it begins to transition I love verses 15, 16, and 17 because John is warning us about the greatest travail that you will ever have of your own personal spiritual warfare. And it's not necessarily with the devil, it's with the world, the flesh, and the devil, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Are y'all hearing me today? He said, look at this, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it's of the world, 16th verse. The world will pass away, and the lust thereof, but if you do the will of God, you'll abide forever. Look at this, 18th verse. Little children, it's the last time you've heard that, at the last, that with the Antichrist shall come. There are many Antichrists now. They went out from us. They would have continued with us if they were of us, but they went out that they would be manifest if they were not of us. But look at the 20th verse, 20th verse. He said, but you... He said, John said, I'm writing to you because I'm going to expect that you're going to be able to distinguish between error and truth. Even without your own personal copy of the word of God, he's saying, I'm going to believe that when you hear the error, something inside of you is going to rise up and you're going to discern it and say, wait a minute, that's not right. Come on. Something is wrong. Even when somebody prophesies, and when somebody says, yea, thus saith the Lord and puts their hand on you, he said, there's going to be something... That's why in the fourth chapter he said test the spirits and see for many spirits are gone out that are not of God. Just because somebody says yea thus saith the Lord does not mean it's of God. And so John said that but he said I'm going to trust there's something inside of you that will keep you in a darkened day of spiritual heresy. You have an unction. Now the word unction is the same word anointing that is used later in the 27th verse that we're going to talk about in just a moment. It simply means it's that ungent. It's that smearing on. It is the anointing of God. He said, but I'm going to trust that you're going to be able to discern the difference between right and wrong, between truth and error, because there's an anointing in your life. You, can you say that with John, you have an unction from the Holy One. This is why I'm not going to give in to the spirit of Antichrist that is prevailing in the American church today in our American culture. I'm not going to give into to it. I'm not going to play games in this, uh, this modernized movement of trying to link the, link the church, Protestantism and Islamicism and Catholicism. Uh-uh. I'll stand alone if I have to, but I can recognize a distinguishable difference. Come on, somebody. And we need the anointing. He said, you have an anointing, an anointing from the Holy One, and therefore you know all things. And I want to show you something about the 27th verse, and I'm going to link this to a familiar passage, and I'm going to close so Aaron, to make people feel at rest, join me on the platform today. I want you to see this today. It's very important. This is a revelation that there are two components of the anointing. There is an outward anointing that is for ministry, and there is an inward anointing for a revelation of truth. Now, when I first came into Pentecostalism, all of the sermons that I heard was about the outward anointing. The outward anointing is for the work of the ministry. The outward anointing is that when you feel an anointing on your life and you accomplish what God has called you to do. For me, that's to pastor, not just to preach, but to pastor because I need just as much of an anointing to pastor as I do to preach. Right? Whatever your calling is, there's an anointing that empowers you to accomplish it. Are you all with me today? And there's an outward manifestation of the presence of God. It comes upon us. Come on, it's, it's, it's that thing that's, you know, it's, it's, it's like Elisha catching the mantle. It's that thing that, that just enables us to do what God has called us to do. Even when we're tired, even when we're frustrated, when it's beyond ourselves, even when we feel limited, even when we feel inca- incapable, even when we feel inadequate, even when we feel like we don't have the right resources, but if I have the anointing, I can accomplish what God's called me to do. That's the outward anointing. Some lay hands on the sick and minister. Some are casting out devils. We're still living in a generation of miracles. Don't let the devil tell you there are no miracles in the earth today. As long as God's alive, there's going to be miracles. Come on, somebody. Because he's a miracle-working God. So there are all different depths and callings and kinds. There's outward manifestations of the presence of God to enable those that are distinctly called into certain ministries to accomplish the work of the ministry. That's the outward anointing. It's the outward anointing, but I want you to hear about for a few moments in closing the inward anointing. The inward anointing is the unction of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you that begins to teach you how to discern truth from error, That, that recognizes deep calls to deep. The anointing that is within is therefore then a revelation of truth. The anointing within would have been what Jesus was speaking of in Luke 24. Luke was speaking of it You've heard me mention it numerous times when the Bible says he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You hear me reference, he quickened. A quickened word. Put the 27th verse on the screen if you would with me, please. I want you to look at it with me. I'm going to tie it to a familiar passage in a moment and when I do, I believe it will bring great liberty to your life in Jesus' name. And it shall come to pass in that day, no, 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 not that one, 27th of 1 John 2. We'll tie those two together in just a moment. First John 2 and 27. I want you to look at it for just a moment. I want you to see it there with me. Let's journey down. But the anointing which you have received of him abides where? In you. Come on. See, I'm wanting you to begin to see. I want you to believe that if you'll put your, play, your life in the right place, that the anointing of God will be upon you and in you. Amen. And when it is, you don't have any need that any man can teach you you're not falling privy to error. Come on, you'll be able to discern the error of the enemy even when it masquerades in the the sound of a prophetical utterance. Because that's very important. Even if it's written, signed in the name of an apostle. That's what John was saying. Look, they're writing letters from us like they're in our place, but if they were a part of us, they would have stayed with us, but they didn't. So you got to be discerning what's going on. He said, but the anointing will teach you and its truth And there's no lie. And when it teaches you, it will teach you to abide in Him. Glory to God. That's what the anointing will do the anointing will reveal that good word to you. That very word that you hold in your lap, that's on the screen, that you've been reading for 40 days, and sometimes perplexing, scratching your head, when you have the anointing of God in your life, you know that if you search diligently, God will unveil the mystery to you no matter what it is. As long as your heart is sincere before Him, and you believe in the anointing of God, then God will reveal the passage to you that you've been reading over. God will bring you and align you doctrinally to apostolic doctrine that will cause you to be established as the apostle said. Not only will you be anointed but you'll be established in sound doctrine and that is critical in the generation in which we live because the wind of doctrinal air is blowing all around us confusing even many who are either unlearned or not anointed and so if you will get the anointing of God on your life it will reveal the truth to you and you'll be able to discern come on this is real people are falling prey to the seducting spirit of the antichrist even in our generation people are coming together churches sometimes are full but there's no true lifting up of Jesus we're not abiding in him it's all in times just a show listen it's not about just filling every seat up in here It's about people coming together in a common agreement that where we are united as a fellowship, he will be in the midst of us and we will abide in his presence. That's what we're longing for, the anointing. Well, I believe in that inward revelation because, see, there are times nobody's there to pray for you, Shane, when you're in distraught situations. I said that earlier about, you know, that solace that we often need and sometimes we're, you know, the, the storms of life. Jojo echoed it later, batter or us. How many of you have been there? And, just, and there are times if you could call the preacher, you would, but you don't. Those kind of things or you don't have anybody. You think, well, how can I find my, how can I, I feel yoked down. There's a term I want to talk about. My final point of closing today, the yoke, the yoke. Because it's heavy. So weight, Apprehension. Anxiety fear Satan wants to stir up fear some of you are living in fear right now we're living in a generation that if you spend your face and spend your time in front of Fox News CNN News ABC News the spirit of fear fear will fill your heart and mind it will come on I'm telling the truth you got to remember everything that was written in this book was written in cataclysmic days of heavy oppression but we have the promise of the truth the anointing of God to reveal the truth to us we don't have to succumb. Some of you are facing real heavy situations. How do I know when I'm anxious? Because I feel like I have a weight. Have you ever been there? Come on, it just the heaviness. Just it's like it just sits, just sits on us. Go back to that passage in Isaiah 10 and 27. Let me show you something about this today. There's a mystery. Now you don't leave me. Don't leave me emotionally. Don't detach from me today. Because if you do, you'll miss the whole heart of the the message today. I know I preached a long time, but that's all right. You need it. Isaiah 10 and 27 and it shall come to pass in that day now the context of this is about Israel and uh, another opposing country I think it's the Assyrians but I, I can't recall just off the top of my head God said it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck Come on, make the forked thing you know what You know what a yoke is don't you the old days of the, of the oxen yoke of oxen wooden staves kind of on an angle together and the oxen would be there and that's even the, the term in Second Corinthians 6 unequally yoked together see you might be yoked together with something other than a spouse that's unsaved that's why we always asso- you might be yoked together with oppression come on now you might be yoked together with unbelief and fear and anxiety or worry generational curses beating yourself up self-condemnation all the time you're yoked together with it and it weighs upon you and you don't seem to get free here it says the yoke will one day be destroyed now what will it be destroyed by? by the anointing now that's a powerful thing but let me take you deeper with it okay today when I was first involved in Pentecostalism, I heard this phrase many times. It is, uh, and I still like to add a little bit of, uh, can I say this respectfully? You know, uh, that, that the black sounds of preaching when I think about it in my mind, because that's when, that's even white folk used to preach that way. Now we're all, they can be, but not me. I'm going a different direction. I was not named Leotis Brown for nothing, and I'm going to stay true to who God called me to be. <laughs> Hallelujah. So now, I would hear preaching, this is in the 80s, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. And so it was this image in our mind that you're seated here under a yoke of bondage and somebody else will come to you and they will break it off of you. That's the image that was created in our mind. And sometimes that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't because God does anoint us to do great works in his name. But what about when you can't get a hold of anybody? What about when it's Thursday and church is not till Sunday, Jojo? Come on, what do you do then when that thing's weighing down upon you? We've not unlocked the mystery of the anointing because there's an outward anointing and an inward anointing. That word anointing there in the Hebrew means fatness. Look it up, fatness. Fatness doesn't mean everything that we think about it today. It meant rich, strong, and powerful. So change the image in your mind. The writer is not saying somebody will come to you and break the anointing off of you with their anointing the writer is saying is that you will begin by the power of the Holy Ghost who's on the inside of you to realize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and you'll rise in supernatural power and that yoke through your prayer through your prophecy through your divine unction when you begin to say it is God that has anointed Satan I command you to get thee behind me I pull these strongholds down I break the bondage of my family my mother may have died of cancer my uncle may have died of cancer but I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord because there is an anointing of God that's on the inside of me hallelujah the anointing of God the anointing of God oh God we need the anointing God we need the sweet fragrance Samson knew what it was like to have the anointing on his life when the anointing was upon Samson He could rip a gate off of his hinge The size of a wall and carry it out on a mountain. He could rend an animal a, 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 a Lion with his bare hands He could face a thousand Philistines with just the instrument of a fallen beast But one day he pillowed his head in the lap of Delilah one time too many And she severed the seven locks of hair off of his head. And she separated him from the tangible connection to his anointing. The Philistines came upon him. Samson, the Philistines upon you. He rose up to shake himself like he had done before. He rose up to just get under that anointing. He rose up to get under it, not knowing, wist not King James, that the Spirit of God had left him. And they took him bound him with ropes put him in shackles pierced his eyes out and they put him in a grist mill and he began to grind day after day day after day after day after day they would eventually take him from that mill and they would take him on a fateful day and they would put him into the house of the pagan god Dagon with 3,000 Philistines they made sport of him and they eventually took the chain that they had chained him to the gristmill and they chained him to two pillars. But they didn't recognize what was happening because the Bible says this, that the hair of his head began to grow. Oh my God, let the hair of our head begin to grow again in the Pentecostal charismatic church that's become anemic. We've lost our power, we've lost our unction and we've lost our anointing. We got great sermons, but we don't have anointing. We got great facilities, but we don't have anointing. We've got great programs, but we don't have an anointing. The hair of his head began to grow and as the hair of his head began to grow, the anointing began to return to his life and he found the greatest victory in his death that he had ever had in his life because of the anointing and you will one day if you will put yourself in the place where you say God will you anoint me? God I need your anointing. I gotta have your power. I gotta have your unction. I can't live without it. I can't be who you call me to be. I can't be the dad God wants me to be. I can't be the mama God wants me to be. I can't be the business person God wants me to be. I can't be the employee on my job unless I have the anointing. God I gotta have it. And when you long for it enough you will eventually get it One day you'll be able to write. I can say with the Apostle Paul, I may not have the greatest education. I may not have the greatest vocabulary, but I can say, God hath anointed me in the midst of my brothers. And I want you to have an anointing in your life as well. Stand up today. And let's just do something today. Can we just come to the altar this morning in an old-fashioned altar just of standing in the presence of God and longing Come on in your own heart and life. God, I need the...